passion only takes you so far, you know, it, and it is an exhaustible resource, as, as is any other form of capital, um, emotional capital is. And welcome to episode 426 of Bruce News Week, recorded on Thursday, the 6th of July, 2023. I'm Matt Kirkegaard, and I'm joined by my good friends and colleagues, Sabrina Kunz and brewer and consultant Ian Watson. Welcome to you both. Hello. Hi, guys. It's fun to have the band back together. I was going to say in the same room, but we're, we're not in the same room, but on the, <laughs> on the same show. We're on the same internet. That's close enough <laughs> these days. And uh, has anyone been up to anything interesting this week? Uh, you, you've both travelled and we've talked about them in the past. Serena just had some uh, days off I did, last week. I did, but I was, doing, I was uh, moving stuff in my garage to fit in a beer, a beer fridge, so um, really enthralling stuff happening in my life. That's of high importance, <laughs> well, having space, a good beer fridge space. <laughs> really important. I will say I did do a winery tour um, down to Mount Tambourine as part of Sabrina's 40th birthday month and managed to um, check out Witches Falls, which you had recommended in the past to me, Ian, um, and have a little look-see at the space that Boxer Brewing is going into and was able to sample a couple of those. So looking forward to Boxer Brewing um, opening down on Tambo, as they uh, called it down there. Yeah, and Witches Falls wine, I'll say it again, you know, we're, we're, uh, people don't realise what a good winery. I know it's a beer show, but people don't realise what a good winery we've got on our doorsteps here in Brisbane in, in Witches Falls. Yeah, so that was a good day. So anyway, that's just a little beer trivia there. Hopefully they're opening soon. Nice. Well, how about we uh, look at the news a little bit around this week, um, leading with uh, Melbourne Brewery Fury and Son is the latest brewery to close as a result of the slowing craft beer market and economic conditions as they continue to impact the industry. In a Facebook post this week, father and son owners Andrew and Reno Georgiou said the decision came with a sense of reflection and anticipation. After eight years of serving the Victorian beer community with dedication and passion, we've reached a pivotal juncture where new opportunities beckon and it's time to embark on the next chapter, the post said. Um, yeah, expect more of this, I'd, I'd, I'd suspect. Yep. Yeah, it, it's interesting they haven't gone for a sale of it, that they've just packed it up and all the parts and bits and pieces are, are listed for sale rather than try to sell a going concern. There must be um, some reasons that they've decided to to do that. Maybe it's better, uh, they think, feel it might be better economically for them or um, some other reason, but I, I did find that, that a little bit interesting. A lot of equipment hitting the market um at the moment, you know, including breweries that are continuing that have expanded, are selling off old kit, and now we're seeing this. And you know, in other media, I saw an article on Crafty Pint that was putting a very brave um, face on it, a very positive spin on on the sale. You know, uh, they decided to quit while ahead was what the headline read. Um, and you kind of think, well, hope hopefully they're 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 not too far behind. Um, but you know, I. I God, I've seen quite a number of financials um, over the last few weeks and a number of business documents where businesses are capital raising that, of course, have to reveal the finances. And there's, <laughs> there's not a lot of black ink that I'm seeing um, is probably the best way to put it. So uh, I, I don't know too much about Fury and Son. I've ne never really tried the beer, but I, I got 
the feeling that that was a really positive spin to, to, to put on the on the closure? I think from my side, Matt, like you read it and you go, eight years is not a small amount of time to invest in a career, a job or a business. You know, it's nigh on a decade. Um, you just think about what people's personal lives go through in that period of time. And it is a significant time to contribute to an industry. And You know, if we take a step back from this one, we've had Wicked Elf, you know, the brand was in. Um, We're seeing smaller sell-offs. We've seen significant folks in craft, in Lion, perhaps exit the industry. And you do think, like, are we losing talent? Are we losing people? Are we losing, you know, people are exhausted? Um, And I was just saying to to the guys off mic that I was looking at a bunch of um, Bruce News content specifically in 2018 and how many brands, just contract brands, get created and then have disappeared in that period of time, let alone the situation we're facing now. And I just sort of think, um, you know, it it, it doesn't sound like it's going to get easier uh, over the next couple of years, but what does that mean kind of as we try to emerge out the other side, you know, Um, because we've still got skill shortages when we look at the number of head brewer roles that are being advertised and even significant brewer roles that are advertised across the country. It's clear that we still have a skills shortage at sort of that that top end of the brewing skilled uh, jobs. And so, you know, what does this all mean as it sort of shakes out is sort of straight away where I went to in terms of people and individuals just to pick up the thing you said at the beginning um there sabrina you know it's a passion-based industry as we've talked about over and over and over again and it sounds like both um andrew and reno um in this business had other careers and they were passionate i think you know i read that they were um you know uh extract brewers who got into all grain and you know the, the, the same path that so many people follow and think, well, wow, what a wonderful life it would be opening a brewery and doing this every day. Um, but if you're not going to make a million dollars, if you're not going to make a lot of money out of it, passion only takes you so far. You know, it, And it is an exhaustible resource, as, as is any other form of capital, um, emotional capital is. And we are, as, as the market gets harder and people aren't seeing progress, the drawdown on that emotional investment can become greater. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. And that's where, you know, again, the other part of what you're saying is that the number of contract brands, and that's what I've seen a little bit of, you know, the, the number of non-physical breweries, people that have thought, hey, shit, this craft beer thing, I'm going to get into that, um, you know, uh, come up with a label, think of a good gimmick um, and and do it. And hitting up other people who like the thought of opening a brewery um, for cash. Um, and these, you know, if, if you are just a brand, to do even what Better Beer has done, you need a great brand, you need a, you know, good concept um you need good liquid but then ultimately as uh better beer has found you need a lot of money to invest um and at the moment you know there are a, a number of you know that there well, when you look at the trademarks that we're about to publish if we haven't already there are new brands entering the market that are just concepts um that are just clearly they've seen something like great northern we're going to target that and people are putting, they're doing capital raisings 
And if you're listening to this, um, don't put money into breweries at the moment. You know, none of them are going, well, can't say this isn't investment advice, but it's a tough market. You need a lot of money to really make a dent in sales, to make any form of meaningful sales. No one's going to buy your contract brand um, unless you really scale and to, to do what, as I say, better beer is you're a unicorn. You really are threading a needle. And uh, I, I just wish people would stop throwing money into an already crowded market because for every stupid brand that launches and goes down, you the risk is you're going to take one or two businesses that would otherwise be viable because of the you know potential disruption you're you're causing in the this market. Is, so um, we've been tracking um, really seriously data here at Brews News over the last um, just on 12 months and we've got sitting in a pile. So um, as the listeners know, we sort of track from trademark through to do they become a brand or a brewery? Uh, do they maybe lodge trademarks and go nowhere? So there's no trace of them ever existing. We look at um, development applications. So we really try to... Um, get in before even the brand or company exists but in that period of time so in 12 months we've got 45 breweries brands or things that were lodged to be a brewery or a brand so be it a trademark a development application that are now no longer so 45 in a year that are no longer and that that runs the gamut of things that never got off the starting line to significant breweries that have closed um and it doesn't capture all of the venues and i'm sure that in in a market as complex and as fast moving as this in terms of concept to close we've probably missed others but if that you know 45 and in that same period of time we've sort of been watching at any at any juncture sort of 65 looking to come on on board and so i just think this number of closures or things that might have been a concept that won't get off the ground so trademarks that might get lodged and people just sit on them and i have to be really mindful that when i say what I said before, and yeah, people have obviously pulled out yeah. of their their idea. And when I say that, entrepreneurism is backing yourself, you know, and entrepreneurism is on, almost automatically against the odds. So you know, if you're an entrepreneur, have a go. I guess my you know sort of not really contained anger um, or frustration at it is when you see these pitch documents asking for money. They're using figures that I think would have been exaggerated five or six years ago when the market absolutely was growing. And in 2023, when you're telling people that the craft industry is growing and or, or saying that the size of the Australian beer market is $4.6 billion and we want to, you know, so if we get a poofteenth of that um, or if we get a fraction of that, you, you just rivers of gold. It's hard to get a fraction of that, and the the fact that a market is that big doesn't mean you're going to get any of it. Um, and 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 the market's not growing. In fact, every sign is that beer is declining. So, do you anyway. want to tie in those other two articles to that, Matt? Well, we, we certainly can. Uh, yeah. So, speaking of uh, reading about red ink, um, finally, uh, I have to say Endeavour beer. Um, that's not Endeavour. Um, what is it? Endeavour Group uh, Drinks uh, Limited. This is Endeavour Beverages, um, hence part of the problem. Um, Endeavour Brewing Company, uh, which celebrated 10 years earlier this year, I believe, has updated its long-suffering shareholders. 
um, on the company's struggles, releasing its delayed accounts for the 2021 and 2022 financial years. Um, the results were de- delayed because apparently their former joint venture partner with which they went into a brew pub um, was hadn't given the figures, um, but even so, they seemed well delayed after those figures were provided. Um, the company recorded a loss of $1.35 million in 2021 and a loss of 176000 in 2022. And the company directors have projected a further loss for the financial year just finished um, of another $100,000. Um, that's significant because in 2020, uh, the 2020 financial year, Endeavor Beverages settled a $5 million um you know, received a $5 million settlement um, for its intellectual property uh, as a result of Endeavor Group, Endeavor Drinks Group, calling itself Endeavor Drinks Group and creating significant confusion in the market. Um, that $5 million seemed like a very generous payout for the, for, for, for the intellectual property. Um, but it also meant that upon taking that $5 million, there wasn't a lot of a business left. They had the, the, the hotel, um, but they were then delisted by the Endeavor Drinks Group, um, which had given them the $5 million, uh, but was also their biggest customer. So it was a little bit of a Pyrrhic victory. They, they won, they got some money, but then they also effectively lost their business, it would seem. Um, that led to a management split with one group of shareholders, including co-founder Dan Hastings, um, calling for the company to be wound up with, uh, I think at that stage it was still two, two and a half million dollars once everything had been paid out, that that could just be returned to shareholders. Um, and the, the, the company wound back. Uh, other founder, Ben Coyman, um, disagreed. Uh, I, I believe his father-in-law um, or the, a group of the original investors who were family and friends um, then had a hostile takeover, took the company back and have been burning through that money left. I think there's now about $700,000 left um, while they relaunch Breakers, good beer for good people, and uh, run the venue. So um, it's been a long time coming. We wrote, I think in January, about angry shareholders who wanted to uh, get a uh, class action going to try and get some answers or trying to get some money back. Um, And also we had the uh, equity crowdfund people who raised the equity crowd, this is the first business to equity crowdfund, um, saying, look, nothing we can do. Um, I also uh, FOI'd ASIC um, documents to find out what advice was given to um, people about situations like this. ASIC declined to make that advice to the portals um, available. So anyway, a lot tied up in that Endeavor story, but ultimately, um, burning through cash, not a lot of... uh, uh, future being talked about. Yeah. Uh, I don't really know what to say, to be honest. Um, it, it's, it's a difficult situation many breweries find themselves in. Um, that Endeavour one, yeah, continued losses, although it does seem to be on a, I don't know whether you say downward or upward trend on their, their losses. Um, uh, and particularly if you look over the years that they were at, um, start of 2022, uh, had some difficulties to it, even though things were opened back up. Um, it was one of the worst starts of the years I've ever seen. For uh, things mm. picked up, did pick up then, but it was um, 
a bad start. You might say um, optimistically that if that hadn't happened, it would have been a um, – if the last nine months of the year had been the way it had been all year, that maybe they might have at best broke even on that year. Um, we'll have to see if and when they publish the next round and see what the, the curve is from there. Um, taking that back to the um, – to, to the previous story there too, uh, one thing I was interested, you know, like w with talking about them shutting up shop rather than trying to move for a, a sale, it also is, I'll say, too kind of admirable that they, uh, without knowing all the further details, that they got to the point where they realised mm. that let's just end it now. Yeah. Uh, we don't see ourselves being able to pull through this rather than try to drag themselves and their staff and any creditors through anything else, that they realised that there was a point where, uh, and once again, without knowing any of the financial background into it, where they realised they could shut it up in a way that created um, the least pain for themselves and for others around them, and I, I do admire that. And, Ian, that's exactly what I was thinking with this story, which is you go, if this was really business and not egos, Absolutely, when there was $2 million left in the bank and you're staring down the barrel of a very uncertain future because um, essentially the largest, one of the largest businesses in the country has now got your name and you'd gotten a payout and shareholders wanted it. I mean, the dude who wanted to still have beer could have gone and started again, right? They're launching breakers. He could have gone out with his portion of the $2 million and created yeah. breakers, right? And instead, all of the investors for whom, quite frankly, shareholders are supposed to be paramount, were not held paramount at that juncture for that decision. It really sounds very much, and I don't know these individuals, but that it was based on what individual people who who still had this grand vision for for their brewery, their idea that was different. And you just look at it and go, that. That was a poor business decision. It also... But on that, Sabrina, like, again, before we move off, because that's a, a great point, because when you look at the accounts, their revenue was $1.94 million in 2022. Their gross profit, you know, after the cost of sales, um, which presumably is the cost of making the wholesale beer, was 580000 So their gross profit was $1.36 million. Their employee benefits, or the, you know, so their salaries, was $1.1 mm. Um, and I think I did a calculation. So that was 81% yeah. of their gross profit went on employee benefits. Now, my understanding, and uh, I, I, I stand corrected, um, in, but I have asked, so the, the company has, hasn't said, is that one of the founders um, and former directors is still employed in a senior role. Um, so there are people benefiting from this company going that aren't the shareholders because the shareholders aren't getting a return, but there are people with a, a stake in the business who are benefiting financially. Well, look at what's happened with Mighty Craft, right? The exact, uh, not the exact same situation, a fairly similar situation in which Mighty Craft has lost significant value for its shareholders over its time. Management um, a as a group were a massive portion because essentially it was a marketing entity, it didn't, it didn't sort of 
own a lot of stuff. Um, it was sort of so that the staff of Mighty Craft was a huge part of its outgoings annually. And the shareholders there have forced in a new board and a um, and a strategic review and we've seen the CEO leave. And so, again, in this, if you are the shareholders through a, um, a uh, what's it called, a virtual raise? What are they called? Equity crowdfunding. Thank you. Thank you, equity. <laughs> How Sorry, could you forget all I that think name? Of virtual. Um, equity crowdfund. Um Look at the limited power that the shareholders actually can exert, whereas at least through an ASX listed, there's sort of mechanisms and processes and governance. And so I just look at this and go, you know, we think it creates an easy structure to do equity crowdfunding. But it, if you are the shareholder, you have very limited power. And actually, it does make things more complicated because even though you do have limited power, there are things like uh, that can there are mechanisms that that shareholders even in that equity sense can go through equity crowdfund can go through so i just think this isn't going to be the last of a complicated structure or a difference in opinion between founders shareholders people who work in the business and people who just want to extract some of their money even when we're talking private equity but that's also again one of my biggest criticisms of the marketing of equity crowdfunding, the story that is told, you are going to be an owner, you're going to be part of the family. And that part of the family was actually the line that was used for the Endeavour equity crowdfunding versus the reality of when, you know, things get tough. You've got no, the the, the shareholders haven't heard, uh, heard any direction um, for months. They're not being consulted on the direction, um, you know, if you invest money in one of these things, you really have zero, you know, um, next to no upside and a whole lot of downside. And, and, so, and anyway. when you're listed on the ASX, right, if you are the board of an ASX listed company, your primary obligation is to the shareholder. It is not to the owners of the company, yeah. right? And so not to the founders, not to the people, to the management working in it. it it's to the shareholder. So, anyway. Anyway, uh, in potentially happier news, um, in fact, much happier news, the IBA has released its BrewCon program, uh, which is coming up in August in about six weeks' time. Um, great program, lots of interesting topics. Um, there are rooms being, uh, the, the three rooms are being hosted by myself uh, and my friends James Smith from The Crafty Pint and Claire Clouding from Athena Quality, who we had on the podcast recently. We should probably disclose, although I'm sure everybody knows that we're the official media spo sponsor and partner for the conference program, so uh, for the conference over the BrewCon, we would cover it anyway, but I just mean that we, um, through Brew Pro, transparency, through Brew Pro, um, if you guys aren't already subscribed to that podcast channel, uh, go ahead and do that now, but on Brew Pro, you're going to be seeing a series of uh, what we're calling BrewCon Replay. So bringing back some of the really great content from prior years is a bit of a teaser for the stuff that you're going to be able to experience at this year's BrewCon. Um, and I think we've just released the first one today, which is working with uh, Fruit, uh, who it was Topher at the 2018 from Wildflower at the 2018 BrewCon. So that should be a really interesting listen. Um, the things that jumped out at me on here, obviously there's this ongoing AI chat, 
Um, and I think that's looking like a pretty interesting panel um, that's coming in. We've got some folks who are dialing in um, from the US for that one. So I think, I mean, there's lots of strategic stuff on this um, and lots of technical stuff on this. But I'm obviously more interested in the future-focused things. That's where my brain goes. So keen to see that. I've only just started to have a little bit of a look at the the program for, for Brucon. Um, very interested and very excited about it coming up. Um, and I've been reading a fair bit of chatter online in various Pro Brewers Facebook uh, groups um, about it. Um, but I'll possibly um, over the weekend as I get a little bit of time when I'm not actually making beer, um, sit down and have a really good look through the through the program on something bigger than my phone screen and uh, uh, delve into it a little bit little bit more as to what's what's going on and what I'd really like to attend. One thing that I think anyone, any brewers are going, any brewery business people um, are going to, there's something for everyone in the program. But the one thing I think you must do is go along and see our good friends at Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging because they're really looking forward to catching up with everyone at this year's BrewCon on the Gold Coast after such a long absence. As you know, they can supply um, can or bottle labels, shrink sleeves for cans supplied to you ready to fill, cartons or either printed or plain tap decals, coasters and four-pack barcodes and much more. They are your one-stop shop for all your brewing and labelling needs. Give them a call or go and see them at BrewCon. If you want to give them a call beforehand, one 800 to discuss your options or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au. Moving on to other news. This was the latest Beer is a Conversation with Christopher Shepard um, from the US on Beer Market Insights, Beer Marketers Insights. But I will just say um, uh, there's a couple of points I want to make about the data he talked about, but I think actually what arose out of that conversation quite organically was a really interesting observation and discussion around uh, what we will call the Bud Light controversy that we've mentioned previously. And I just think it was handled... Uh, Christopher handled it very insightfully and it was really interesting. And so, um, you know, we talk about diversity and and um, sort of expanding the beer market and, and what that looks like and why we want to target consumers. And some of that is addressed really, really well and eloquently in that conversation. So you might read it and think, oh, this is about data. It's not for me. I just think that was really, really um Really worth it. So really worth a listen. Yeah, I, I agree on that one, Sabrina. I, I really enjoyed that part, listening to that part there and hearing his take on that um, and uh, his perspective uh, as to how things may or may not um, change and uh, not realising uh, – I'd been keeping a track of it a little bit but not realising how bad it had been for some people in the industry um, – People who are distributors, drivers, etc., um, yeah. servers. Um, that that's quite terrible. And then, yeah, the point that if that's how bad it is for those people, what is it like for the community um, the, of of trans people that were also affected by this? And how might it be affecting them, both in what's being happening, being said to them, and the emotional toll that that would that would have that their fellow beer drinkers. Um, and let's remember, we're all beer drinkers how their fellow beer drinkers want to react to them being also a consumer of the same beer. Yeah, it was a really great chat. So if you're looking for that, the other piece, and I and I was going to mention this in the top line story, Matt, um, but my favourite uh, 
one of my favourite phrases that came out of the discussion with Christopher was squishy data. <laughs> and, yes. um, and I sort of thought, you know, that's this point around even now, even today, uh, and we're going to talk about a couple of other articles uh, in the last week in, in various publications that's talking about what is the state of the, cra- the craft beer market, both in Australia and the US. Uh, and we still get media releases. We constantly get media releases with what you would, and I would call squishy data, where we go, well, where did they get that from? I got a media release this week from Nielsen or one of the data companies talking about, you know, how wine and spirits are, you know, in ascendant, um, but beer is growing as well. But it was all interview data, it's self-reported data, and it's not necessarily reliable, you know, and then it's how you interpret it. And there's a whole lot of things that just don't make sense. I've heard so many conflicting things, but then also... You know, like one of the, the squishy data points is that Gen Z aren't drinking as much. Um, but a lot of the statistics don't actually bear that out. And it's almost people just glom onto an idea and start repeating it and they lose track of data. That's that's a really good one, Matt, actually, is about the um, Gen Z drinking habits. Uh, I have questioned myself a lot of the stuff that gets reported on that and this is squishy data too, but just my own experience doesn't seem to reflect that from what I observe. And that has seemed to be nothing really, um, uh, um, nothing really strong or, or, or nothing really solid to do with that. A lot of the stuff actually around uh, Gen Z, I think, uh, is the same way um, because it's it's a bit of a buzz phrase. It's clickbait. Everyone wants to to, to read articles about Gen Z uh, from a business sense, but there doesn't appear to be anything really, um, really solid in it at all. Yeah, I love that phrase, squishy data. Yeah, it was great. And I think, you know, Matt made the point during the course of that conversation and certainly um, Kylie at the IBA has made that point, but access to good quality data in Australia is prohibitively expensive and ultimately on the retail side controlled by two entities who have a commercial interest in not making that data available to their competitors. And I've got that. I think you can buy Coles' data, but you can't buy Woolworths. So, But you buy it, right? mm, And yet they can use your data, uh, which is your sales information, to make competing products. Mm. So, uh, you know, it just means that the lack of uh, transparent data in Australia is one of the big challenges for businesses to make smart decisions. Great chat, Matt. Oh, thank you. Thank you. But again, yeah, I, I, I just enjoy, I, I choose people who and uh, that I enjoy talking with and, you know, the conversations are just always uh, such a pleasure. So I'm, I'm glad other people can learn and enjoy. Um, actually, next week's, um, just to tease next week's, we ran a... Um, classified this week, the Poor House, a craft beer pub in Maitland, um, is up for sale. And it's it's a venue that I've followed for a while and I've done events there and I know Aaron, who is the owner or one of the owners who's selling it. And you know, he's, he's actually a business consultant. I've had some interesting discussions with him about the things that he's learned because it's a classic example of a couple of mates over a beer going you know, over craft beer, which they were very into going, wouldn't it be great to own a pub? And he's had so many trials and tribulations um, with the business, including never actually working full-time in it, but having to run it. And I thought it would be a really interesting chat because he, like so many other people, 
finds himself in the craft beer industry thinking it's just going to be pouring beers that you love to good people and having fun doing it um when there's actually a lot of business involved in it as well and uh so uh had that chat this week it'll go out next tuesday so for look 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 for that because it was another one that i just really really uh found fascinating um moving on to other stories from around uh two similar ones uh one was in the australian um newspaper is this the end of australia's craft beer explosion and another one on Slate, um, When Beer Goes Flat. And as I said in the Radio Brews News Facebook group, and if you're listening to this and you want to join, the uh, password is Soapbox. We let you in anyway, but it just lets us know that you're actually listening to the podcast. Um, and uh, But as I said on that, I always find it very interesting when stories like this go mainstream in, in, in the media, that it's not in a trade publication, it's not in a beer publication, it's not in a drinks industry publication, but it's a mainstream publication because it gives you a real insight into what the broader perception of beer is. And after you know 15 years of unerringly positive stories about how awesome the craft beer explosion is, and the Australian one even references the craft beer explosion, but questioning whether it's the end of the craft beer explosion, um, you know, uh, I, I think these are always interesting to read because you've got journalists who are pulling together, um, you know, broad facts um, and often ones that we've discussed on this podcast for you know twelve to eighteen months, and it gives a good idea of what the of, of what's you know launching into the mainstream consciousness about our industry. I liked both of these. We'll put them in the show notes. Sorry if they're behind a paywall. By for, for the people that commented on uh, the the Facebook group, can't help that. And buy a, buy a subscription to things that you read. Keep us. That's what keeps media publications like ours going. So, so the reason I liked both of these articles um, is that so often when we read about the beer industry in the mainstream, it's because someone has sent in a media release. It's because somebody is pushing non-alc. And when when we read it, because we consume almost every piece of content that's written that involves the beer industry in the country, we can pretty much tell what what the angle is and where it's come from. Um, and so we, um, but these two are just sound like business journalists who've pulled together an assortment of facts and it doesn't sound like there's an angle there in terms of selling something. They're not selling non-alc. They're not selling um, this brewery has done X, Y, and Z. It sounds like genuine reporting. And when you read it laid out like that in a very um, sort of comprehensive way, it does get you going, Oh, that's interesting. Now, for us, for for our industry, at a time when people might need capital to get through, uh, you know, we haven't seen any crowd funds launched in the last little while. Um, it, you know, it does put a dampener on. It, it will create a perception amongst funders of various types. You know that the that the sheen is off the industry, and so that's not great for the folks in the industry. On the other hand, hopefully. Um, I mean, at least for us, it sort of says other people are looking at it and and forming the same view, albeit some time later. So you know, um, it, it, I just think they're really interesting. I, I haven't um, read the one behind the, um, the 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 paywall, but I take your point there, Matt. We should uh, we can't expect everything in the world for <laughs> Even free. If you don't want to give Murdoch some more money, just don't give me shit because it's behind a paywall. It's uh, you know the the headline itself was interesting enough. 
to the point, yes, there are challenging times for our industry as they are for everywhere. Um, our industry's had it pretty good for a long time. I've said this multiple times, but I'll say it again. So inevitably there there is hard times come and this is a hard economic time across um, everywhere. To me, it doesn't mean the end of um, what we all love and what we all want. It's just that we have to think a little differently and we have to be a little bit more strategic um, and we have to think about our image and our place and um, and what we want beer to be for, for now and for the future if beer is going to prosper or, or come back to more prosperous times. That's a really good link in um, actually to what I was going to say next, which is uh, the panel uh, that Matt is leading at BrewCon is going to be about um, you know, what is a strong category play for beer? Um, you've heard us use the phrase Beer Australia. What does that really mean? It should be a really insightful conversation. But there were two other things that jumped out at me in the news. Um, one was that Australia's United Malt agrees to a billion-dollar takeover from France's Invivo. So that's an acquisition of one of the largest maltsters in Australia. Um, and sec secondly, CUB celebrates Victorian barley farmers. So CUB are investing in a direct link to uh, thank the people that grow the, gr the, the barley, the grain for our product. I had a lengthy conversation with uh, Steph uh, from Cryer Malt who was talking about some things that they're obviously doing directly with farmers. Um, and, of course, there's the major sustainability project that Bintani are invested in um, alongside uh, Rocky Ridge and um, low-carbon footprint barley. And, and I bring that together because one of the things that I think is going to become uh, even more apparent and is definitely popping up, I think, more frequently than it has in certainly the time the last few years I've been in Australia is this relationship between beer and our agricultural foundations and how important that connection is in the future story that we need to tell about the product of beer uh, and in this provenance of beer and in Beer Australia. And so I think these things are really, you know, we, we, we focus a lot on hops and we've always talked about it, um, but we haven't sort of had that connection as much, I think, through to the maltsters. And so it's just... There's a big overseas company that has, has bought our largest maltster. Uh, we've only talked about how that's one of our key sort of uh, exports to Vietnam. I just think it's a space that we really need to keep an eye on and think about as part of our grain-to-glass supply chain when we're making the case for Beer Australia. Which brings the the, the next story, which is a little media release uh, from CUB that they celebrate Victorian barley farmers um, and really that they, they got a bunch of barley farmers into the local pub and brought them all around, you know, I think celebrated them for the night, um, but was also celebrating the fact that they deal directly with the barley farmers as part of their supply chain. Um, interestingly, I was on ABC Radio last night. Um, the, the host wanted to talk about the next story that we've got, which was Four Pillars announcing its full sale to line. And she was quite a fan of the Four Pillars gin and uh, wanted to talk about whether it mattered when you're, you know, little brand gets bought by a big business and you know again i had to say even the fact that we're talking about this now they've been 50 percent owned by lion for for several years and you know they're not really a, that small um a distiller even in the scale of things but the way you feel about it has suddenly changed so i talked a little bit about that but you know had to talk about you know, and i had to say look my passion is to support small local independent 
manufacturers because they are what make you know they do the research and development for the industry they are dynamic they don't have to cater to the biggest part you know they're, they're often the leaders and the innovators in a lot of ways and i like that dynamism but this idea that big you know foreign owned companies are bad for the country as well you know, when you look at Lion and CUB, buy almost exclusively Australian barley. Um, although now you've got a foreign country uh, company buying malt, you know, barley that's going to be malted by a foreign-owned business. And, they, and you, it, it's a global economy. Um, you know, it, inform yourself. Um, if it does matter to you, um, you know, buy from small, you know, seek out to, to the small ones, but there's an onus on you to uh, actually do that work. It's interesting on the four pillars one, Matt. We'd only just had one of the founders was the keynote at Wobber, the keynote address at Wobber, talking okay. about how they'd built their brand. And so I have always drunk four pillars, but I actually felt far more invested in them having mm. heard his story and the three founders' story and why they saw some ingredients from overseas because they're not Australian and how they've tried to keep the purity of being an Australian gin even though they have to source their juniper from, you know, like I really, I heard the story. It was an excellent presentation. I bought in. I was I was there. <laughs> I was into the story. And so, you know, I read this and I went, oh, my God, I feel kind of cheated now. The number of people who have bought into who have spoken to me this week about loving their Shiraz gin. Yep. I, it's um, on my shelf behind which, me again, right now. Yep. I have a 2020 for the year my kid was born. I have that Shiraz gin is one of my, yeah, love it. Um, but I, I think it was interesting because they were really honest about the fact that they'd take it. He was very honest about the fact that they'd taken this lion steak and why they had done it. Um, but I just think for the brewing industry, uh, it kind of stings when lion is, you know, shutting down tiny mountain, uh, their craft staff, are leaving. And in the same week they say, great, we've got a new, um, you guys might have missed this, but yay, we've got a new uh, platform to apply for jobs at Lion and also we've bought four pillars and yet I'm thinking, oh, my God, you've just shut down and let go key craft beer people. So it just stings a bit is is how I feel about it. Yeah, we've we've, we've known for a while that um, uh, four pillars were, were part owned by Lion, that it was an inevitability of the complete takeover and good for them. You know, they've... They've done what they want. They've they've grown their business and they've they've had a successful exit. Um, good on them for that. The product's great, and I'm sure it'll continue to be the same. Um, for some, there's a, a difference when it's well, you feel an emotional difference when it's owned by a large player, and that's understandable. I'm one of those to some degree. Uh, although I like to put the product first or, t or tell myself that, but I do have an emotional investment um, in that sort of thing. And yeah, I. I you hear what you're saying, Sabrina, about hearing one of the founders tell a story of it, and it always is a way that it does get you um, emotionally invested in it. I remember uh, many years ago, um, probably about what, eight, nine, maybe ten years ago, being at one of the very early brew cons and um, founder of Gladfield speaking there, and this is before we had uh, 
like Voyager, etc., in Australia doing small maltings and got up and told his story and was so passionate about it that I was marching straight over to, to David Cryer and saying, David, when can I get this guy's malt? Where can I get it? And it's like, oh, no, man, it's not through us. And, in fact, it's just not even in the country at all yet. And um, feeling that moment of disappointment that something I'd become so uh, emotionally invested in in such a short period of time because of how passionately a, um, a founder spoke about it. There we go. In, in other, just looking through the the, the list, um, Poor House, well, we've talked about the it for sale. If you're interested in uh, owning a craft beer venue, uh, go have a look at that. Um, Better Beer launches Bitcoin giveaway, you know, more, what would you think? Well, the reason I put this on here is I can't believe how passionate people were one way or the other about whether this was a good idea. Like some people were just like, mean and I, I don't know like i just to the I, brand or to bitcoin because i i bitcoin well, is, is a what, scam well, this, bitcoin yeah like so this is it, my it just point is. anyway so i just can't believe how passionately some people care or do not care about bitcoin and therefore like unleashed on um the article around or or, or the announcement around this with better beer like i just didn't realize there was such a um I, I don't know. I just found that really interesting that the amount of chat around it, maybe it did what it needed to do because it keeps it in people's minds. But, um, yeah, I, I found it surprising. Again, yeah, just standing away from Bitcoin and everything like that, I'd imagine that they have an idea of who their audience is yep. and Bitcoin appeals to, you know, a certain age group, whether Bitcoin is that age group. You know, it's it's something that fluctuates in currency. You know, so it's not just here's ten thousand dollars. You know, here's it, it, it's interesting that the value of the actual giveaway is going to change daily um, based on how it goes. Um, you know, it's part of Better Beers brand. You know, uh, and and giving away. I was just surprised at how people reacted. With, I guess was the reason because I thought, well, this is interesting. It's somebody trying to partner with someone new to potentially extend reach. To your point. Um, and it just really, um, people felt passionately about it one I way or the other. I hope they bought the Bitcoin uh, when it was down and not when it was up. <laughs> so they're not getting a lot of bang for their buck. Um, now, Sabrina, you included this next one, Radio Brews News Facebook group, Mo Bishop. I'm curious why breweries keep calling these types of beverage ginger beers we're talking about ginger beer. I called into my local bottle and they gave me a free sample of Mountain Goats RTD being labelled as a ginger beer, carbonated water, vodka and flavourings. Um, although, Mo, I will say if you go looking too hard, um, yep. most of them are these days. Ian, you've got your hand up. Yeah, go your um, okay. So ginger beer is not, <laughs> ginger beer, is not beer. Uh, it never was. Um, beer. Uh, I've been making ginger. Uh, well, my first thing I ever made was ginger beer. Uh, we're coming like 38 years ago now that I, I first made that. Um, ginger beer, proper ginger beer is not beer. It's a drink that has the name beer, but it's not beer. Same as barley wine is not a wine. Ginger beer, uh, proper ginger beer, uh, which you'll find excruciatingly rarely is made by spontaneous fermentation um, of uh, coming from uh, a symbiotic culture of bacteria and yeast that you naturally find on ginger. Um, then you ferment sugar with that there. Um, and that's, that's how ginger beer is made. Like without going into full detail of the recipe, it's not beer because it's not made from grain. So when um, no one does that, basically no one makes proper 
ginger beer. Yes, there are. You could, uh, I know there's one up the Sunshine Coast, but you got to drink that stuff within like a day of getting it. It's fantastic. Um, the ones on the market will either be, yes, an RTD. Um, they'll be, um, uh, uh, yeah, exactly, add alcohol and, and ginger flavourings together. Can I ask, so I listened back to your chat with Matt last week and you were talking about making ginger beer with your dad and then you went into a whole thing about um, using it as an example for excise uh, tax yep. and all of that. So you were talking about it being wine. So that's essentially what, because I had a bit of a giggle, I was like, oh, this came up directly after that and that was your whole point around you can make ginger beer eight ways and depending on how you do it, um, or, or what you call it and how you do it, you could pay different taxation on it. That's that's right. Yeah. So for for alcoholic ginger beer, yeah, you could make it. You could make it with a wine base and flavour. You could make it with a, um, a you know ethanol base and and flavour it. Or you could try, as some do, to make it as a um, as a Australian legal definition of beer, so that you can pay beer excise on it. A lot of those are actually they're made with the same flavouring, and that flavouring actually technically you cannot use to make um, uh, beer uh, in in Australia because it contains an artificial sweetener, which is not allowed by Australian law. But there is a number of breweries that do do that, um, and. Yeah, but beer, beer, it's uh, any, any of these are fine because ginger beer is beer in name. It's not, it's not beer um, at all. The actual one that is um, made semi properly is actually Bundaberg ginger beer, uh, and it is um, uh, non alcoholic, but it actually is a brewed, um, properly brewed and made um, ginger beer. It's not like many of the other soft drink ginger beers where. They're just they're just flavouring carbonated sugar water. Um, it actually is a proper ginger beer. So that's yeah. There we go. That's on it. I love ginger beer. I'm passionate about it, and it's not beer. And this is why we have a brewer on the podcast. Yeah, and the reason I <laughs> the reason I thought this was really interesting from Mo is um, I thought it would be good to have this chat outside of the timing around Gab's hottest one hundred because it comes up as controversy every year for being included. And, in- and so it should, by the way, you know, because it, it's when you look at how many things are excluded, why there's never been a clear rationale for why one is included and others aren't. Yeah, that's why I wanted to talk about it now because I thought normally we try to talk about that and then you're talking about it in the context of something that's supposed to be positive for the beer industry. But if seltzers and gins aren't in the Gab's Hottest 100 beers, then RTDs with the name beer in the title shouldn't be in the Hottest 100. And I know that has been a major controversy uh, for some time for Gab's to sort out, um, but I just thought it would be good for us to have this this conversation Far away. <laughs> yeah, look, that, that's 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 a good point with it, and like ultimately, uh, Gabs is a commercial entity, and they can have whatever the hell they want in there, and we can't whinge about it. It's their comp- it's their competition; they can do what they like. Um, but I do agree. I'd probably say that if it's not meets uh, Australian um, legal definition of beer, it probably, my personal opinion, it probably shouldn't be, uh, in there, even though it, uh, has the name beer on it. Otherwise let's, let's throw Kirk's ginger beer in there. Let's throw Bundaberg ginger beer in there because they are as much of a beer, um, as, um, uh, as, as something that's being made as a, as an RTD. Uh, and hey, you could say, well, they're, they're non-alcoholic. Well, there's non-alcoholic beers in there too. So why can't non-alcoholic ginger beers be in there? Where, where do you stand on the whole issue of almond milk, Farmer uh, Ian? 
Almond milk is not milk. <laughs> Sorry, let's not disappear down that one. It, um, you now, could, are, if, if it's allowed to be called that, it's allowed to be called that, but it's not milk. Um, and manufactured meat. Um, anyway, let's let's leave that there and let's get on with uh, thanks to our good friends. Uh, in fact, our good friend Derek at Bluestone Yeast, who can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you're after a one-off pitch or you are looking for a weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them and discuss all things yeast at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172. And uh, no doubt he also will be at Brucon in August, so you'll be able to chat to him uh, in real life. Now, the reason we read that ad is because they sponsor our Brewery of the Week. And Ian, I believe you have our Brewery of the Week from your previous cha- uh, travels. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I wanted to um, put up a King Tide Brewing from down in Coffs Harbour. Uh, it was quite a number of weeks ago that I was down down there, but we've had uh, a number of other Brewery of the Weeks um, come through since then, and I, I really want to do a shout-out to them. It's a um, lovely venue, really nice venue, actually. Uh, really impressed with how it's laid out, how classy it uh, it looks. It's essentially on the main drag as you go through Coffs Harbour if you're travelling from Brisbane to Sydney, but um, they don't have a great big front face. You've got to walk down a little, little alley in a great big, uh, beautiful outside area, uh, a well-laid-out back bar, really nice. The staff there were, were very good. Um, a gentleman that served me um, had only just started in in the business, but he was obviously already very passionate about what they were what they were doing. Um, once again, a really nice clean brewery, which I I liked. The beers were tasting on point, and uh, the food that I had there was was fantastic as well. So yeah, shout out to King Tide Brewery. Um, that's my brewery of the week. Uh, Lovely. I, I feel Ian. After this, I always come in with like had a great experience, like the food. I feel like I need to add in had a clean brewery. Like I need to really like it, the last few that you've done. You've like clean brew house, and I I feel like I need to up my game for brewery of the week, and now really <laughs> evaluate the quality of the brew house against Ian's standard. That's that's as 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 a brewer who's been around for quite a while. Um, it's something I always straight away look at. How clean um, is your is your area, and if you're willing to have something dirty that I can see, uh, how dirty is the areas that I can't see? Um, mm. uh, which then makes me think about the quality of your 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 product and your general hygiene in your in your venue. If you're willing to have a brewery that looks that filthy, that sounds a little Steve Jobs. You know, you paint the back of the you know, the, the back of the insides of the cupboards as well. So yep, uh, yep. Well, if you're painting a house, you paint it from the back. Um, you don't start <laughs> at the front. And uh, actually, on that, just to again tease next week's beer as a conversation. Um, Aaron uh, had a great quote, and uh, it, it, it'll just to warm you up for, for next week's chat. And it does tie in with what is a common theme for our brewery of the week. Um, Aaron said, We're not in the beer industry serving people, we're in the people industry serving beer. Oh, good chat. Which I think is, uh, you know, we've talked about the move from being a brew house with a tap room to being a hospitality venue. And that's a really powerful, uh, I, I, that, that really resonated with me. Although, can I tell you, Matt, as I've been going back through all of these articles and listeners, if you get the chance and you're looking for information, in 2018, Brews News did, it, um, did an in-depth series on what makes a great brew pub. So five years ago. In 2018, there was a series of articles and, quite frankly, national forums and things on beer tourism and the role and equity and support that 
beer should get alongside wine and tourism and 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 it makes me think you know the conversation has evolved certainly but you read this content and so much of what we're making the case for beer today is the same case we were making five years ago so it says that we've come a long nothing way nothing if not consistent <laughs> and sooner or later the rest of the world catches up with us sabrina i i, I just mean that it, it does feel like sort of you know i can understand why people are tired uh in the industry but i can also see that like we have we collectively not just bruise use but collectively the industry has been talking about the right things and so you know we just need to and certainly there's been you know on the tourism front huge successes in places but it just that brew pub serving people first design layout that you know that's been an ongoing conversation Anyway, just before we hit the hour mark, uh, with a few edits along the way, no doubt, um, that's our news for the week. We will be back next Tuesday with uh, Beer as a Conversation. Listen out for it. In the meantime, thank you to Bruising News General Manager Sabrina Kunz. And uh, if you are thinking of starting a brewery or looking for uh, some advice, I highly recommend Ian's counsel and advice. Uh, so uh, thank you again, Ian, for joining us uh, on Radio Bruising News this week. No problems. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being had. And with that, we're out.